Community. We're reading the same stuff together. One of the things that we talked about the very first week. Let's see. I don't know. There you go. Is that good, Mel? Okay. How old did I turn? How old do you think I turned? 18? Pretty close. 26? Pretty, it's closer to 26. So, um, closer to 26. Here's a great question. Who do you guys think is older, me or Courtney? Where is Courtney for all of these jokes? Where does she go? Just running around. Um, you guys think, you guys think Courtney's older? Yeah. That's what a lot of people think. That's what a lot of people think. All right. Um, here, here's the thing. Uh, okay. So you guys, we're all reading the same stuff. Here's my challenge to you. Hear this. Hear this. And this comes from a heart that loves you and cares about you. This comes from a heart that loves and cares about you. It is impossible. It is impossible to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus without spending time with him in his word. It's impossible. And I know a lot of us say, oh, I, I, I've been, I'm praying, you know, and I get that. And that's awesome. And that's important that we communicate to God through prayer. But God has written a love letter to each one of us. And his word is alive and active and it's transformative and it's powerful. And so if you haven't begun this, this habit yet, this pattern, this life-changing discipline, I want to challenge you, if you're serious about wanting to grow in your relationship with Jesus, it has to involve reading the word. It absolutely has to. Just this week, I'm reading Acts along with you. Just this week, I read this and literally it stopped me in my tracks and blew my mind. Acts chapter five, verse, uh, beginning in verse 40. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. This group of religious leaders called in the apostles. They said, do not talk about Jesus. And so you know we mean business. We're going to beat you within an inch of your life. They beat these apostles within an inch of their life. Tell them not to talk about Jesus. And then check out what verse 41 says. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. That was that gathering of religious leaders. Left that gathering of religious leaders rejoicing. Just think about that. This is a group of people who have just been beaten within an inch of their life. It says they leave that group rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Wow. You guys, this week, I have not responded that way. Oftentimes when something happens and, and I don't like it, it's outside of my plan. Man, my response is so not like this. And I read this and I said, here's these apostles who are limping, literally limping because of the beating they received and they're full of joy because they're like, guys, we had the opportunity to suffer for Jesus. Can you imagine having that mindset? I wonder if we could pray that this week. God, would you give me a mindset that would view my sufferings with joy because we get to suffer for Jesus. 
So you guys, as I'm reading the word, as I'm reading a book that I've read dozens of times, God is speaking to me in unique ways, and I want you to experience that too. So if you're not doing that yet, I want you to start tonight with beginning to read Acts with us. Okay, we are in the middle of a series on relationships. And tonight we kind of take a turn. We've, we spent the first month, we spent January talking about our relationship with God, our relationship with our parents, our relationship with our siblings. We talked about relationships with friends last week. And then this week, we sort of take a turn into the romantic. We take a turn into the slightly controversial. We, we take a turn into some really interesting territory. And for the rest of this month, for the rest of this month, uh, we are going to be talking, we're going to be talking about the love relationships that we desire, that we have, that we fall for, the stuff that isn't good for us, the stuff that was intended for us, because these conversations matter deeply to God. What we're talking about tonight is we're talking about fake love. What we're recognizing is that there is a kind of love out there that masks itself as good, as satisfying, as fulfilling, as purposeful, but it's absolutely fake. And I guarantee tonight that I'm gonna say some things that are gonna offend you and challenge you. And what I want you to do, what I hope that you do, is I hope you consider these words. I hope you recalibrate and rethink the things you're doing, the relationships you're in, recognizing that what we're about to talk about is fake. It's not the real deal. I want to say this, um, and I've said this before, in fact, every time we do this series, that at the end of our series, February 28th, me and Sarah, my bride, which everyone, can everyone just look at Sarah and say, what's up, girl? What's up, girl? Um, Sarah has had to put up with me for over eight years, which is just, just a miracle, just a miracle, just a miracle. And her desire, her desire is to get up here in front of all of you and answer any questions you have about relationships, sex, um, anything we're about to talk about. And so from the beginning of it, from now until February 28th, if you have any questions about anything we're talking about, you can text into that number. It's anonymous. Uh, we're not, we don't even know your name, so we're not reading your names. Um, but text those questions. And Sarah and I on February 28th are going to get up in front of you guys and we are going to answer your questions. Um, I also like to say this. If there's anyone in this room who you want to have a conversation about same-sex attraction or you want to receive support, Here's what we want to do. We want to offer you, we want to offer you an opportunity to have a conversation about that. I, I want to come out the gate and say that sometimes the church has not handled this well. Sometimes the church has treated people who have same-sex attraction as a problem and not as people that God loves and that God wants to work in their lives. And so what I'm doing is that's, that's my personal phone number. And I want to challenge you and I want to invite you. If you're in this room and you're experiencing same-sex attraction, I wanna have a conversation with you and I wanna hear your story. The very first thing we'll do is we'll sit down and I'm not gonna say anything. I wanna give you an opportunity to share your story. And then I wanna be there to support you. I wanna give you some resources. I wanna encourage you. I wanna challenge you. I wanna invite you to think about this more. And so that's my phone number. And if you would give me the honor of having a conversation with you, I would absolutely love that. So all series long, you're gonna see that up there, you're gonna see that phone number up there, and I would love to have a conversation if that's something that you would like. Okay, so here's our big idea for tonight. Here's our big idea. 
When you settle for fake love and fake acceptance, you rob yourself of experiencing true love and true acceptance. Every single one of you, every single one of you desires, desires to be loved, to be valued, to be cared for, to be received by a community, to be accepted. And as soon as you, as we're going to see, as we're going to talk about porn, as we're going to talk about hooking up, and as we're going to talk about sexting tonight. Wow. Yeah. As we're going to talk about those. The challenge is for you students, that if you settle for fake attempts at love and fake attempts at acceptance, you are robbing yourself of experiencing the real deal. Every single one of you, you came into this room tonight thinking one of three thoughts about sex. One thought you may have is, is you may have walked in this room and you may think, man, sex is gross. Like I, as a Christian, as somebody who follows God, I'm supposed to not even think about it. I'm not, not supposed to have any desires towards it. God, is like, it's just something that has to happen to create kids. I don't want to think about my parents. Like, oh my gosh, it's gross, right? And you're just, yeah, I know. That's like the worst, right? I get it, I get it. And you're just disgusted. I know, I'm sorry. It's just, I can say that. It's fun. <laughs> That's good. All right, but I'll, we'll get away. Don't worry, I won't say that again. All right, but here's the thing, here's the thing. Students, I want to tell you, this kind of thinking about sex, that it's gross, that it should be avoided, that it shouldn't be talked about, that it's bad, that it's evil, this is incredibly dangerous thinking. This is incredibly dangerous thinking. Because we learn in the first opening pages of our book of the story of God that sex didn't just show up and appear and God was surprised, God created it. And if you walk through your life with a view of sex that it's gross, then you're living in this suppressive way. You're suppressing something that God created to actually be good. And you see, when God created sex, he put these really awesome parameters around it because it was such a precious and special gift. And we're going to talk about this more when Sarah and I share on the 28th. But he put these parameters around it not to be a killjoy, not to rob us of something, but to protect us for something. And so the view that God wants us to have of sex is that it's good God's way. That it's good God's way. But the other one, and the one that we'll be spending our time talking about this evening, is that some of you may have walked in this room with the view of sex that it's God. That sex is supreme. That sex is the most important thing. And that ultimately is the fake love way. That is the way that will lead to destruction. This is the mindset that, man, my purpose right now is to hook up with as many people as I can. That, that the truly, the, the people who have it together, the people that are coolest, the people who are on track, who are living life to the fullest are the people who are sleeping around, who are hooking up, who are having all these experiences. And what's crazy is that unless you sit in the middle there, that if you find yourself in the gross category or if you find yourself in the God category, you're in for some trouble and some pain. But there is a way, there is a perspective, and we're gonna get there throughout this series. But first, let's watch this video. I'm going to start it again. Miller, we got the volume on that? Let's see. 
Oh, sorry, Mel. My bad. I'm like, Mel, what the heck? It's me. It's never Mel. That's so good. All right, here we go, you guys. Recently, a supercomputer managed to do what no computer had ever done, simulate one whole second of human brain activity. How long did it take the computer to accomplish the task? 40 minutes. That might seem like a long time if, like most of us, one second of brain activity amounts to something like, I want a sandwich. But your brain transmits more messages than all the phone calls across the world, sifting through a non-stop flow of input from the eyes, ears, and other senses, even if you're just making a sandwich. Consider the brain. 50 billion neurons, a trillion glial cells, four miles of blood vessels, all dedicated to making an enjoyable life possible for you. Need food, shelter, and sleep? Your brain is designed to go after whatever it takes to survive. Your brain is also wired for companionship, with neurochemicals released in response to intimacy. Even if you're alone, staring at pornographic images on a screen. In that moment, the brain's powerful machinery kicks into gear, bonding us in different ways to images on the screen. Studies show that over time, many can develop a compulsion to pornography, causing them to need more of it more often and more hardcore versions just to feel normal, just like with mood-altering drugs. The amazing brain, in other words, can be hijacked. Image after image, your expectations of sex, love, and relationships can evolve, with your own sexual preferences changing dramatically as you continue to seek out more shocking content. No surprise, then, that in comparison, people and activities you used to really care about seem less interesting. The good news is that the same processes that shape the brain in one direction can shape it in another. Hundreds of research studies prove that brain pathways can move in healthier directions. That's true for all of us, and there are lots of ways to help that happen. The only question that remains is what pathways you'll choose for yourself. So choose reality, choose love. You were born with a machine in your head more powerful than the world's fastest computer, your brain. Take care of it. It was made to take care of you. Isn't that a cool video? Okay. Here's God's design. Here's God's design for sexuality. You are a spiritual, physical, emotional, relational, and sexual being. So this is really significant to understand because I think sometimes we reduce ourselves to, to one type of thing. Maybe we say, man, sex is just all that I'm thinking about. It's all that I'm interested in. It's the most important part of me. Or maybe you think just your physical body, that's the most important part of you. What you got to remember is that God made you multifaceted. That you are a physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, and sexual being. God created you to worship him according to scripture with every part of you. This means God's desire from the very beginning is that everything you do with your body, everything you do with your sexuality, everything that you do with your relationships, your emotions, every part of you would ultimately be worshiping him and not just worshiping him like however you would want to define that. Like me and my girlfriend are gonna make out for the glory of God, right? That's not what he's thinking. That's not what he's thinking. It's like seven minutes of heaven. It has heaven in it. This is gonna be great. No, that's not what he's talking about. That God's desire is that you would worship him according to scripture. This means... Then when God says, I want you to treat your bodies like this, 
or I want you to wait for this, or I intended sex to be experienced in this context. That true worship of God with every part of us means that we're obedient to scripture. It means that as we're getting to know God and as we're close with God, that what God says is worshipful becomes our definition of worship. I wanna show you a few scripture verses. Paul writes this, he says, I have the right to do anything you say. So, so Paul is quoting a group of people who are really, really sexually confused. In fact, there was like mass prostitution, mass orgies going on, all kinds, and it was masked in religion. People, people said, man, this is one of the ways I worship God. And Paul is saying, man, you guys are so screwed up. He quotes him, he says, I have the right to do anything you say. And, and they're even beginning, what, what they're doing here is, is they're twisting the freedom that comes with a relationship with Christ. So these are Christians at this time who are saying, wait, wait, Paul, Paul, Paul. Jesus has freed us from the law. He's forgiven us of all of our sins. So because we have that freedom in Christ, can't we do anything we want? Shouldn't we be able to do anything we want? And Paul says this, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but I will not be mastered by anything. This is an incredibly, incredibly important principle. What Paul is saying here is you need to understand, even if, even if you are free, like even if you have the ability or access to a sexual experience, to going too far, to taking advantage of somebody, that it is absolutely detrimental to you. And not only is it detrimental, but it will become your master. You see, the very thing that you're desiring freedom and to express your freedom, if you begin to just partake in anything, it will actually become your master and you will find yourself enslaved by it. Paul continues. He says, you say food for the stomach and stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Here's what's so profound about this. The, the, their other line of logic is they're saying, well, ultimately we're gonna spend eternity with God and does my body really matter right now? I mean, can't I just do whatever I want with my body? And Paul says, you have a messed up view of your body. You think that the most important part of you is your soul. You think the most important part of you is your relationships. You think the most important part of you is anything else except your body and you can just do whatever you want with your body. But what Paul is saying is, no, your body actually matters. What you do with your body actually matters. And it is not meant for sexual immorality. We're going to get to what that means in a quick second. Verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. So your bodies are going to be raised back to life if you are a follower of Jesus. That if you are in a relationship with Christ, after you die, eventually, and we're gonna do a heaven series in September that I'm already getting so excited for, but one of the big ideas is that there will be a resurrection, that what Jesus experienced is not just for Jesus, but it's for all of us who are in Christ, that there will be a resurrection, meaning our bodies matter 
to God. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Therefore, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Maybe you've read this before or heard this before, or this is brand new. You're new to this whole Jesus thing, and you're like, flee from sexual immorality? What does that even mean? What is sexual immorality? Here's how I want to define it for you. Sexual immorality is two parts. It's number one, engaging in a sexual experience outside of your marriage, which is defined biblically as one man and one woman, engaging in a sexual experience outside of your marriage or entertaining lustful thoughts. Paul ultimately says, and it says all over the scriptures, that if we choose to engage in sexual immorality, that it will master us and it will not be beneficial to us. So is God saying, hey, hey, I want you to restrain from crossing boundaries with your girlfriend because he hates you or because he wants to ruin you? No, it's actually because he wants to give you life. There's a lot of questions that, that arise in here. I mean, entertaining lustful thoughts Je Jesus says, man, you've heard it said, we preached about this. We preached through the whole uh, Sermon on the Mount. We talked about how Jesus said, man, if you've heard it said that if you sleep with somebody, if you sleep with somebody who's not your wife, who, who's not your husband, then you've committed adultery. But I'm telling you, if you've thought lustful thoughts, you've committed adultery. And so for Jesus, it's not just about our actions. It's not just about the things that we do. It's our heart and it's our mind. And so sexual immorality, what we are called to flee from, and again, it's not because God wants to take something from us, it's because he wants to give something from us, is any kind of sexual experience outside of marriage and any time we engage in lustful thoughts. I want to keep going. Verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, one of the ways, this is so cool, guys. One of the ways we worship God is by engaging with others, with our bodies, in a way that's worshipful to him. You see, this means that if you get married someday, if you get married someday, that sex within marriage is worshipful to God. It means that while you are not married, remaining abstinent is worshipful to God. It means that when you have a desire to go farther with somebody and you set up a boundary and you say, you know what, because I'm called to worship God with my bodies and you don't cross that, that at that moment you're worshiping God. You see, sometimes we reduce worship into this small thing that we do in this room with a few songs when we raise our hands. And that is worship, but that's not all that worship is. Worship is so much more. I mean, guys, think about this concept that, that if, if you, if somebody, and I'm gonna get to this in a second, but, but if, if somebody were to ask you for a nude picture and you were to say no, recognizing that your body matters to God, at that moment, you have just worshiped him. That that moment you have just responded in a way that's worshipful to God. I love this quote. I've shared this with you before. 
Theologian J.I. Packer reminds us that sexual laxity does not make a person more human, rather it brutalizes an individual. Packer says humankind was designed to run and be satisfied with soulish things. As rational persons, Packer writes, we were made to bear God's moral image. Our souls were made to run on the practice of worship, law-keeping, truthfulness, honesty, discipline, self-control, and service to God and our fellows. When the human person lives contrary to their design purpose, they dry up losing the capacity for shame and truthfulness as a person diminishes. The result is not only dehumanization, but spiritual death as well. So I wanna talk about three things with you real quick and then we're gonna get you into your small groups. I wanna talk about porn, I wanna talk about hooking, hooking up, and then I wanna talk about sexting. Let's watch this. On April 25th, 2015, an earthquake hit Nepal. Within 54 seconds, it had leveled over half a million homes and killed nearly 10,000 people. It was devastating. But what happened next was incredible. Almost immediately, neighbors from China rushed across the border to clear rubble. Within 15 minutes, India had mobilized a full-scale relief effort, including medical supplies and rescue dogs. Before the day was over, people, money, and supplies were pouring in from 60 countries, 35 relief organizations, and countless businesses. Consider the world. More than ever before, we're able to help reduce human suffering anywhere from natural disasters to a child's medical bills. In a remarkable way, technology can focus our attention and rally us around a single worthy cause, combining millions of individual acts of kindness into a massive force for good, or combining millions of individual selfish acts into a massive force for harm. If the private act of viewing porn can rewire a brain, devastate a relationship, and destroy a family, what happens when that act is multiplied by 100 million? What happens when it isn't just you seeking ever more explicit pornographic material, but your next door neighbor, your teacher, your doctor? What happens when it's half your country? Today's rising generation is facing the issue of pornography at a level our world has never seen. In 2015, 4.3 billion hours of pornography were watched on a single website. That's half a million years. What are the consequences of 4 billion hours when pornography has been shown to increase marital infidelity by over 300%? What are the consequences when 88% of the scenes depict aggression or violence? What are the consequences when the porn industry has now been linked to abuse on set, child exploitation, and even human trafficking? When we discover that products are tied to abusive things, like child labor, we're willing to change what we buy. Isn't it time we had the same conversation about pornography's human impact? Somewhere, right now, actual lives are being made far worse by the million little mouse clicks around the world. So, choose love and humanity. Click on something else, take a stand, and pour your time and energy into something, anything, that might just make this world a little better for all of us. I want to share some stats about pornography that, that might be kind of surprising to you. And I recognize that in this room, maybe there's people who this concept is like so foreign to them. And honestly, I'm so thankful for you. And I want to out the gate, just say, never dabble in this. Just, just make a decision. You're going to run as far away from this, that you're going to flee from it, right? Paul doesn't say, hey, get as close to sexual immorality as you can without crossing the line. He literally says, run for your life from it. 
flee from it at all costs. But there may be people in this room who, who this is a real struggle for them. And so I want to share some things and then I want to offer some, some encouragement. 90% of porn enacts violence against women. Just think about that for a minute. That means nine out of 10 porn films have some kind of violence against women in a way that degrades them, in a way that dehumanizes them. Like the video talked about, I mean, imagine how that shapes us. Imagine how that transforms us. Imagine, imagine, imagine how that's going to affect you someday, men, if you're going to be a husband someday. Imagine how that's going to affect you. 50% of all Christian men say they are addicted to pornography. That is such a, uh, such a gnarly number. 50%. 20% of all Christian women say they are addicted to pornography. 93% of boys and 62% of girls are exposed to porn before their 18th birthday. 15% of boys and 9% of girls have viewed illegal child pornography online. Here's the crazy thing about the porn industry. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. It seems to be growing. But the reason it's growing is because the demand is growing. They're not, they're not making this stuff just to put it out there. They're making it because it's making them billions of dollars. And so since this struggle is not just a guy struggle, but it's a girl struggle too, I would encourage us to be a community that makes a radical decision to flee from this kind of sexual immorality. Because again, you may say, well, I'm free to do anything I want. I can log on these websites. Maybe my parents don't even care, but Paul would say it is not beneficial and it will ultimately master you. I, I have a lot of friends who began looking at porn in junior high and high school and it was just no big deal. It's kind of what everyone else did. And I've seen it wreck their marriages. I've seen it ruin their ability to be intimate and vulnerable. I've seen it literally transform their desires to where being with someone physically in a real relationship in the context of a marriage is virtually impossible because of the millions of images and videos that are jumping around in their head at all times. And you guys, with the power of Christ and with a community that supports you, this doesn't have to be your story. A recent study from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention found that regular porn users are more likely to report depression and poor physical health than non-users are. The reason is that porn may start a cycle of isolation. Porn may become a substitute for healthy face-to-face -face interactions. You guys, this was reported by CNN from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. This is not a group of Christians that have rallied together and say, we think this is bad, but it's not really that bad. No, this is literally secular people who are looking at this tragedy of pornography addiction and saying, this has got to change. So if you're in this room right now, whether you're a female or a male and you're struggling with porn and you're struggling with porn, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this these steps seriously. I want you to think about this. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to confess your sin to Jesus and receive his forgiveness. The step one, knowing, knowing that this is sexual immorality, knowing that this is fake love, knowing that this is to your detriment. The very first thing you got to do is you got to decide, hey, Jesus, 
You, you gotta confess, you gotta say, Jesus, I've, I'm sorry. I know you didn't create me for this. Would you forgive me? And you are gonna find his love and his grace and his forgiveness all over you. He's not interested in shaming and guilting you. He's interested in restoring you. Step two, I want you to share with your small group leader, pastor, or a Christian friend. Don't keep this secret and this struggle by yourself, but share this with people. Number three, I want you to choose to fight the temptations you face with boldness. You guys, this, needs, this is where we need to get really, really practical. If you recognize that you're struggling with porn and the way in which you struggle is looking up things on your phone at night when nobody else is around, I want to challenge you to be bold in the way you fight this temptation. And that means you don't take your phone to your room anymore. This means, that you, this means that you keep your phone, you keep your phone in the living room and you charge it. If you know, if you know that on the walk home from school is gonna be the time you're gonna be tempted, then you put some blockers on your phone and you don't allow yourself to go to Safari. You don't allow yourself to search the web. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you need to consider giving up your smartphone. Maybe there's some of you that are going, man, I've tried all of this. And I have dear friends who have struggled so much with porn addiction. And some of them have been so courageous and so bold to say, you know what? I'm going to give up my smartphone. Because they recognize that ultimately this is to their detriment. Try visiting the landing. We have literally set up the landing every single Tuesday night in here for people who have hurts, habits, and hangups. And we'd love to see you at the landing Tuesday nights here at 630. Give yourself grace when you mess up. When you mess up, recognize, you know what? Jesus has not just forgiven my past sins. He has forgiven this current sin. Now help me, Lord, to turn from it. And then lastly, ask God to help you worship him with your thoughts and with your actions. Hooking up. Hooking up is one of those things that's just in our culture right now, and it's so prevalent. And some of us have just grown to expect it. I mean, I, I, I've talked with people in this room. Who you say, oh, this is just what boys expect. This is just what girls do, or this is just what happens. I maybe just want to provide a little perspective and a little context for you. I want you to think about it in these terms. That when you choose to engage in a hookup, this means, this means with somebody that you're in a relationship with or not in a relationship with who doesn't know Jesus, maybe. Maybe you just met him at a party or a gathering. And you haven't had the conversation of, hey, I'm committed to you and you're committed to me and here's our boundaries. We're not gonna push it, but, but you're pushing the boundaries for some kind of fun or entertainment. This is what you're communicating. If you initiate a hookup, if you initiate a hookup with somebody, here's what you're communicating. Satisfying me is more important than protecting you. Gentlemen, ladies, if you initiate a hookup, here's what you are communicating that person. And the question I want to ask you is, are you okay with communicating this? Are you okay with this? That satisfying me is more important than protecting you. I want you to think of somebody that you really love and care about right now. How would you feel about somebody treating them with this mindset? That would bother you. And if, if you respond to a hookup, if, if somebody says, hey, I don't, I, mean, I don't I feel so dumb. I don't really know how that happens, right? Like whatever you guys do at parties and however that stuff happens. If, if, you, if, you, if you are the person who's being pursued and you respond and say, sure, sure. Here's what you're communicating. My worth is defined by how useful I am to you. I mean, just think about that. 
Is that what, is that what you want? Do you want to believe that, that your worth is defined by how useful I am to you? Ladies, because I think it, it usually works that way where the guy is pursuing the girl for a hookup. Not always, but can I just give you a challenge? If any guy ever does that with you, if any guy says, man, I, and this is what he's saying with his actions, is I don't really care about you as a person. I don't want to invest in you or pray for you or support you. I literally just want to use you for my own gain. Could I just encourage you at that point, at that point, you need to cut that person out of your life. And maybe some of you are going, well, no, like I'm praying he comes to Jesus. God will find another way, okay? God will find another way to win that person. But if somebody is treating you that way, what's scary is the more and more you hear those messages, the more and more you'll start to believe them. The more and more you'll think they're true about you. Gentlemen, and again, this is just a generalization, a stereotype. Gentlemen, if you're in this room, and you've engaged in this kind of activity, if you've initiated a hookup, look, there's lots of grace and there's lots of forgiveness, but you are destroying the young women around you. You are destroying them. You are not honoring and worshiping your God. You're not honoring your potential future bride someday. And so young men, let's be better than that. Young men, let's choose to worship God with every part of us. And this means we don't engage in these kinds of things. We don't involve ourselves in these kinds of things. And then the last thing before we jump into our small groups is sexting. Check out these stats. 22% of high schoolers have been involved in a form of nude sexting. Sending or receiving a sext under the age of 18 is considered child pornography and can result in criminal charges. This is real that if you receive nude pictures from somebody who's a minor, you can, you can be tried for child pornography. I mean, I mean, the biggest reason is this is so far from what God has for you. This is, this is not fleeing from sexual immorality. This is running towards it. But there are some serious criminal effects and consequences because of this kind of behavior. 17% of sexters have the message, share the message they receive with others, and 55% of those share them with more than one person. And so when you send that picture and you think, oh man, he's just asking for this or she's just asking for this or it's no big deal, this is gonna stay between us, statistics show over and over and over again, it's not gonna just stay with you guys. And I imagine there's even people in this room who have experienced the devastation of this stat. Last one, 15% of teenage boys send explicit photos of their ex-girlfriends once they break up. So ladies, if a dude ever asks for a nude pic, you immediately block them. You immediately say, I want nothing to do with you. You immediately get them out of your life because they are trying to lead you into a really dangerous place and you are more worth it than that. You were created in the image of God. I mean, God brought you into existence. He loves you, he adores you, he died on a cross for you. A guy who is asking for a nude pic is not gonna get up on a cross and give his life for you. In fact, he just wants to use you and exploit you. He doesn't care for you at all. I don't care what he says with his words. His actions communicate the exact opposite. I want you to think about your savior, your God, who didn't want to take advantage of you or exploit you, 
but chose to lay down his life for you. That's your standard. That's your standard of what men do. That's your standard of what love looks like. It's not asking for a nude pic. I just had to include this. I'm sorry. I know you all have Snapchat. Nobody's going to delete it, but I'm just going to say it anyways. This is literally an original email from the creators of Snapchat. He said, let's be honest. What, derogatory term, what blank ever wants anyone to get a hold of her pictures? I mean, with incriminating photos of lacrosse team captains, rounds of drinks at, and sexy, fun photos of new outfits, a derogatory word, would be at the mercy of her captor if anyone ever got a hold of her phone. So literally, the creators of Snapchat, the original design behind their app was so that they could get nude pictures of girls so that girls would feel more comfortable to send out nude pictures. Here's in their policy. We may share information about you as follows or as otherwise described in this privacy policy. Snapchat is holding on to all of those photos. And whatever we send out at any time, they could use. So if it's Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is, whatever, whatever protected sexting thing you have going on that you think, man, nobody's going to know about this or it's never going to get out there or whatever. All the statistics show you're wrong and even worse than that, even worse than that. You're, you're, you're running into sexual immorality, which ultimately is not beneficial, is ultimately detrimental and will ultimately master you. What I want to do is as we wrap up, is I want you to hold up this card that says prayer and accountability. Prayer and accountability. And here's what I want you to do. As we're gonna break into our small groups, I want you to look over this. And tonight, tonight, if you would like to make a decision to have somebody hold you accountable and pray for you because you've seen the bondage of these addictions and these struggles, then what I want you to do is I want you to show this card to someone in your small group or someone in HSM, maybe a student, a leader, and to say, hey, could you help me remember these things? And then I want you to keep this in your room. And young ladies and young men, when you're tempted to run towards sexual immorality because your culture is running there, because you think it's gonna feel good, because you hope that it's gonna give you the acceptance and the love that you want, I promise you it never will. It's fake. I want you to have this card and I want you to read these statements and I want you to choose real love. I want you to choose a relationship with God. I want you to choose to worship God with your sexuality, with your bodies, with your emotions, with your heart, with your feelings, with every part of you. And so students, take this home with you, read it, commit to it. And I want you to find somebody who can hold you accountable, who you can text, who you can encourage and who you can help as they're trying to live a life of purity. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. I know it's been heavy, Lord, and I know it just sucks, honestly, God, that we live in a world full of fake love, masked as the real thing, masked as life, masked as abundance and fullness and goodness. And yet, God, in your word, you remind us over and over and over again that sexual immorality ultimately leads to our death and destruction. So, God, I want to pray for any of our young men or young women who are addicted to pornography, 
who are beginning to dabble in that, Lord, I ask that you would help them to run away from that. By the power of your Holy Spirit and with the help of this community, I pray that tonight we would give up porn addictions. God, I pray for those of us that have experienced the fallout of sexting or hooking up, that God, you would remind us that you're a God of grace and forgiveness and that you can redeem all things. But help us to not return like a dog returns to its vomit, to not return to such destructive ways of living, but instead to worship you with every part of us. God, I pray for our small groups that we would have real, authentic, vulnerable times. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.